1: Hey there, and welcome to episode 12 of the Beat the Sats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is WEEI studio host, MLB Network correspondent, and Red Sox reporter, Evan Drellick. Evan, thanks so much for being here. You got it. What's going on? Not too much, Evan. So, the Red Sox this year, 12-17 and to start the gate, seven and a half games back. Now, because the Bruins and the Celtics are in the playoffs, I don't f- think fans have fully paid attention and have freaked out like they normally would to start the year, especially after the World Series win last year. And you can conclude me as one of those people, and I, I know it's early, but how concerned should Red Sox fans be about this team in the first month of the season? On a freakout level for me of 0 for 10, where should I be?
0: Freakout level? Um, I don't know. Maybe a, maybe a 7, just because the 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 hole that they're in is, is not insurmountable, but those games do add up. It, it, playing from behind is different than playing in front. They were in front all of last year, so they're just facing a different kind of test. You know, maybe at some point they were inevitably going to have to deal with this. Uh, but a little bit of that seven, I would also attribute to big picture concerns. I think that's really where it lies. You know, even if this team kind of rights the ship a little bit, when you start to look at a lot of the moves that have been made, the future that's been mortgaged. Uh, It it starts to feel a little bit like a deal with the devil uh, last year's World Series. But in in no way is this season done and gone, and anybody suggests that it's crazy, but it's definitely uh, a bit of a slog they're going to face here.
1: And I think one of those big picture concerns is Chris Dale, and at least my biggest surprise going into the season. He's 0-5, 6.30 ERA. They just extend him to a big contract for guys that had problems finishing the season. He's had arm issues. The contract doesn't look great right now. What did you make of the signing at the time? And what have you noticed from him this year?
0: At the, at the time I, I, I liked it at the dollar figure because I think if you hit the open market after a good year, he would be, um, uh, you know, commanding higher money. And as long as right. he's healthy and, you know, Alex Cora said it again today, he's, he says he's healthy. The medical staff says he's healthy. Everybody says he's healthy. Um, you know, if that's the case, and it's it's possible he's he's just dealing with some fatigue after a really tiring year. You know, you can be healthy but kind of not fully where you want to be, or he's just he lost his mechanics. You know, and that, that stuff happens. Um, so we'll see on 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 his front, and, and that's kind of a cop out answer. But um, you know, the cal- the caliber of pitcher they got for the money is pretty damn good uh it's hard to knock these deals individually the problem for me becomes collectively the only approach they've had is spend 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 buy 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 um so you know sales a healthy sale is is basically irreplicable you cannot find another one anywhere else so you can you can understand the appeal who is safer to perform over the next three years sale or jd martinez it might be jd martinez
1: yeah, and I think there's a bunch of guys, whether it's Mookie, whether it's JD, whether it's Chris Sale, and you want to sign them all, it's really, it's hard to, to find out how you do it, and Sale, as you mentioned, he's one guy that, if he's pitching like he can, it's hard to not sign a guy like that to a long-term deal. I believe you were the one who broke the news on Twitter about the Chris Sale contract, or at least that it was going to happen. You also broke the news about the Red Sox initially DFAing Blake Swihart. What do you make of the Swihart move? Another kind of quick decision early in the season do you think it was a dombrowski move do you think it was a cora move it does seem like the kid had so much offensive talent that it was unfortunate they let him go
0: yeah i think it was alex spear actually who had this the sale extension i had the i had the other one i had the bogarts okay um doesn't make any sense to me you know it's 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 an acknowledgement they screwed up and you can figure, try to figure out where they screwed up. If, if he really was a problem behind the plate, well, where the hell were they the last year and a half? Where, what were they doing in spring training? Uh, what were they doing, putting him on the opening day roster? And it, I think it was just a reactionary choice. And one that was made without any real deference to the future, you know, and they, they did get a prospect back and that's nice. Uh, it's good for them to finally do that in a deal, but it's, it, it's a high upside player. Who may, maybe he wasn't going to pan out a catcher, but they never, there was never a real chance there, you know. And um, it's, it, it, it was a it is a situation in, in a player's career that the Red Sox, over a span of time, mismanaged. And you can argue that that goes back beyond this current administration. Um, maybe that's the case. You know, he had health issues, but uh, just just a bad use of an asset is is, is the Blake Swihart story.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a bummer to see because he's so, he was so athletic. Everyone talked about the athleticism, the the arm strength, the, the bat was there, and it seems like they didn't really give him a chance. They put him in left field. They played him in the infield a little bit. They started him at catcher. He always did well in spring training, and then they didn't really give him a consistent at-bats in the regular season to get going. So it's unfortunate to see, but I wanted to get back to the breaking news and what, more of what you do uh, now that we've got the Red Sox out of the way. You talked about how you broke the the news on Blake Swihart. I feel like I saw something about, even if you didn't break the sale news, something about you talking about the sale contract on Twitter. What is that process like for you when you break news? Are, you, are there times when you hold on to information, other times when you report it? You know, How do you know when it's credible? What, what would you say to young baseball journalists who want to go into the industry and, and just the process of breaking news for you as you've learned in your career so far?
0: Uh, i 'd say going to another industry um, <laughs> you know it's it's really just time and relationships I mean I used to wonder the same thing uh, when I was young in college and you know how do you, how do you get to that point um, you know by no means am I um, I'm certainly not Ken Rosenthal but um, it's it really is just time you get to know people for a variety a variety of reasons you know uh, and people read you and it, it's just you can't uh it's hard to see until you kind of go through it i get that because of then i remember back then thinking about it um but you know you'll you'll talk to somebody for one story and then two years down the road you've maybe you stayed in touch and then hey there's another story You know, it it could be kind of anything like that but the longer you do it just the more people you get to know and the more situations you you kind of you know have awareness of it's so it, it it it's natural uh i think but it's also you know what what is what is what is the value of that in the industry and I'm, I, I broke some news it's not like i got a job off the next day so um right uh you know the the little thrill of it is is fleeting i would say you know it's, it's a personal pride thing and a professional pride thing but um it you know we've been talking about this for years with the media cycle how much does it matter uh, so, you know, the pride never really goes away, but does it, is it the end all be all for reporters? Well, really only a select few, if, if you kind of break it down. Do you get a high or
1: some sort of adrenaline rush when you break the news?
0: It's not a high. I mean, yeah, you know, well, it, you know, if you, if you're onto a really good story, whether it's, whether it's a scoop of, of kind of a transactional nature or, or something else, you know, there is a joy in, in that, um, and, and kind of a rush that's involved. Right you know, for a successful reporting endeavor, all that. Um, But I don't know, maybe it's just been my mindset of the winner. I, I, you know, I I, I felt good, but not as good as I have in the past. You know, it's not, um, it's not like I I felt like I'd conquered the world after I break uh, Blake swire has been DFA'd. I feel good, feel a little vindicated, a little validated, but, um, you know, the next day is a new news cycle. It's, so it's how, that in that 275 will get you on the subway. You know?
1: <laughs> and what have you learned so far in your journalism career? I know you were a beat writer. I believe it was at the Astros. You were at Mass Live. You've done stuff for MLB Network, uh, NBC Sports Boston. What, what have you taken away so far from your career as a journalist? What have you learned? What do you, what do you think is key to being good at the job?
0: It's an interesting question after three months of unemployment. You know, in some respects, the more I see, the less I know starts to ring true a lot. Uh, it, it is, it is weird to say that, you know, it, it but uh, one thing I do think about relatively often is, you know, I remember back in like 2013, I, I, this was when analytics were starting to kind of crop up and I think people started really going a little bit of this minutia route you know minutia was a thing back then but um, it was how web certain websites for distinguishing themselves when you know I was doing it um, you know kind of really going diving into some nitty-gritty stuff and you know let's say let's say Johnny Gomes says this is the reason I had success then you run a story that says gomes this is the reason I had success but the more I kind of the more you, you hear the different explanations for things and you go well you don't actually know you're just describing a narrative to it or kind of what you think um like the rest of us you know it, it a lot of it can be narrative spinning you know it's just like okay this event happened so there had to be an explanation of uh, a singular nature or a couple things was it x and y you know and, and really it could be xyz and a b and c it, it's uh you know baseball is so unpredictable. It's a cliche but it's um i stop and think a lot about okay what do i actually know about something which i think is a a good trait to have as a reporter and an editor whatever you're doing early on your career is is like literally everything you write and say um you know you're kind of always asking yourself do i know this to be true what do i know to be true you know i mean there's my little journals plus
1: yeah no i agree and that speaks true to me because i think whenever you're covering an event. We all have our own prejudices and we already have our own things that we think about are true that we may not even think to think that it would be wrong. And it influences when we write a story It influences maybe when you go to a baseball game and expect something to be true. And I think that it relates to what you're saying there. And I think it's a really good point to be open-minded about all the possibilities of what's happening. I think
0: about induced a, a double play. Like this is one that I see all the time. You know, he induced a double play. Well, Did he actually induce it? Induce to me, and I could look up the actual definition. I probably should before I speak out of turn. But um, you know, suggested the pitcher had some control over it. And and, uh, you know, we say a pitcher induces a ground ball, and and a lot of times, like we know that the bat on the ball is random. Like, did the pitcher actually induce it, or did he just hit into a double play? You know, it's like specific word choice can mean a lot and people just kind of overlook it because a lot of it is cliches and stuff like that.
1: No, I agree. I think the words you you write, whether it's normal journalism, whether it's in baseball or sports, the words you write matter. And I think that's what I've taken away from my job is that every time I say something, I want to make sure it's 100% true and words have meaning. So I absolutely agree with you're saying there. And I think it's very good advice. I do want to transition a little bit. Where did you grow up? Because I'm always fascinated by People become journalists in the industry. Whether you stay a fan or you become a reporter, you think of yourself in both. I'm assuming you're a baseball fan when you're growing up. Who was your team? Do you consider yourself a fan or a reporter? How does that work for you?
0: Oh, I was a huge Mets fan. I grew up in New York City, um, so I mean that's kind of what led me to reporting. Was I was I was writing about uh, the Mets for I had my own blog briefly um, and Metsblog.com, and uh, where else was I? I you know, it's covering the mess minor league system for scout.com. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, the New York mentality, kind of, um, aggressive reporting. I, 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 I uh, I think I embody a New Yorker in, in, in some detectable ways. How so? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, may, maybe I'm not, uh, uh, I guess, I guess I don't care quite as much about other people as other. No, I, I, I care about other people. I don't care as <laughs> much as other people about, uh, you know, potentially I don't mind asking a hard question. Right. I don't know. I don't know why I'm, uh, maybe I need to eat something. Um, definitely not actually. I, you know, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable cutting to the chase. Um, And I, and I, I think that's a lost, a, a, a steadily dwindling characteristic in, in reporting, at least in sports writing. You know, it's just, it is just sports at a certain point. Sometimes we treat this with such kid gloves and seriousness. And it's just like, okay, it's not national security. You can answer the question about, uh, the roster move. It's really not going to kill you.
1: (laughs) And what is it like for you to deal with that criticism and confrontation from players after you write after may write a critical piece? You know, I know you've had your dealings with an upset David Price. What do you do in those circumstances? Does that bother you? Do you get awkward seeing those guys every day? How do you handle the scrutiny of writing a critical piece and then going into the clubhouse the next day and talking to those guys again?
0: It's not easy. Um, you know, I, I would say with the price thing, like uh that, that stuff's been going on forever. And, and it continues to go on and, and it will continue to go on. You know, I, I had had plenty of more behind the scenes encounters with different figures as have many reporters. Um, you know, you don't always hear about it. It's one of those things where that one got heard about and was kind of loud and dramatic, but you know, there are objections all the time. You know I mean? It's, it's the pushback is constant. I saw a story. Was it uh, yesterday that there were, there are now six PR people for every, uh, news person, you know, nobody, nobody likes negative coverage. And the easy thing to do is blame the reporter. But if the reporter is doing their job, um, it's, <laughs> they're doing the job, right. Uh, they're presenting facts. And, and it's, uh, it's not something that you don't get mad at a reporter about the truth yet. Most of the time, that's what happens.
1: And in terms of a positive experience, cause I know there are sure there are plenty of annoyances and having to deal with players getting mad at you or managers or the front office or whatever after a piece. Have you had any memorable experience covering the Red Sox over your time in the locker room that's been positive, whether it's a funny story that fans wouldn't know about or the day-to-day interactions with a player, like maybe Brock Holt, for example. Do you have any memorable experiences like that, where it's been fun to cover the team in a clubhouse every day?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, I would, if you were to aggregate, every well don't do that don't steal it uh if you were if you were to uh put together every story i've ever written you know the vast majority of them would be, would be considered um po- uh, would be positive or neutral right, right. Like, like most stories you write like the number of sunday stories i did um you know kind of featurey looks at people and things that um you know maybe somebody could go hey that's not critical enough or whatever you know it, the vast majority of the work is positive and and uh I think the the negative is more easily remembered by people oh you wrote a negative story once yeah but what about the four positive ones oh we don't care about that right. um, so you know plenty I've had the, the the moments I I kind of think to the most are you know interactions and kind of human moments with people you know when when uh, when the ball players act like people which they all are they don't always act that way but most of them most of them are pretty good about it. Um, you know, you there. There have been some great conversations. Uh, and you know, some of them aren't on the record, but it, it's, um, you know, I, I, and I and I think just kind of if you can convey something for for somebody that maybe they wanted to express, or you can, where you kind of discover something about somebody that maybe they didn't even really know. You know, it, 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 there's the, the whole point of reporting to me is kind of asking a question and seeking the answer and constantly doing that and
1: a lot of times
0: that answer is
1: positive and are there certain guys in the clubhouse you've enjoyed covering on a day-to-day basis yeah um
0: absolutely you know I, the, the reality was when i was covering the, the astros uh from, from 14 to 16 it's a much smaller media market it's a little easier you know, that that was a group where it was easier to sit down with guys more regularly, and, and it was a group that was a little bit more media friendly. Um, there's there's no beating around the bush with the with the Red Sox the last couple of years. It is not the most media friendly group. That's not their job. You know, you can say that's fine. Um, but just in talking about, you know, if we're talking about media interactions, um, you know, it's not it's not it's not the 2004 Red Sox where everybody's kind of this really outgoing personality um and and wants to have that conversation it's a different time period you know and then it's it is what it is uh but um certain players yeah i mean i I, jd martinez is somebody who uh i had in houston briefly and i have him here now um who i i enjoy talking to you know he he can be combative and, and and he's smart you know you can have a back and forth with him um and and uh the, again, it's, it's, it's the conversations that are real conversations as opposed to, oh, here's some bullshit. Okay, let me go write the bullshit,
1: you know? Right. Yeah. I wanted to wrap this up, Evan. Got a couple more questions. You have mentioned the job status. You're very funny and self-deprecating about it. I'm interested about it. A lot of people are interested about it. You were at NBC Sports Boston, are no longer there. As I mentioned, you're currently working at WEI do you have any job updates it seems like you're a guy that would get a job in a second everyone talks about it on the radio are you frustrated you're not at NBC Sports Boston anymore do you have any thoughts on your job situation I know it's not easy for anyone in the industry but for you a guy this talented who breaks news all the time and is in it day in and day out it's odd to see that you don't have a new job yet
0: you know um yeah it's it's been frustrating. It hasn't been that long, realistically. I guess in, this, in the greater scheme of things, um, you know, I am thankful to EEI because it is just a part-time thing. But but the fact that I was able to do that, and they've been using me doing it, and it, you know, that's created growth in its own right for me. I think, um, you know, I think I've made a little bit of strides on uh, a little bit of stuff. I've taken some steps, <laughs> taken some steps forward on the radio uh, as I stumbled through all those words. <laughs> um uh but yeah i think there it shouldn't be too long i i am hoping at this point um i think you know things are started to move uh for me so you know nothing's done yet but um fu- it, it took a while but but things things have started to move so i'm i'm, I'm encouraged in that regard it is puzzling at, you know kind of when you feel like and, and uh, if you feel like you you've you've done a solid job and you know, do I do I wish I was still at NBC Sports Boston? Clearly not, uh, for for the reason that, um, I, I think they handled it very poorly and handled me poorly. Uh, I don't think I I gotta believe if you asked them they would say the same thing because, uh, they fired me with the intention of bringing on somebody who they didn't even end up bringing on because that guy, who the hell knows what happened, but then they ended up kind of just backtracking to their original Red Sox coverage plan when they hired John Tomasi, who is excellent. Um, and uh, it's a great hire for anybody. I love Tomasi. But, uh, you know, from from a place
1: where I want to be standpoint, hell no. Well, I think all of Boston is really rooting for you to get a job. It sounds like something will happen shortly. It must make you feel good when you hear guys on the radio saying, why doesn't Evan have a job? So I guess if nothing else, it should help the confidence, right?
0: Yeah, it's a weird thing where, like, that feels great, and then it also magnifies the feeling of, wait, why don't I have a job? Right. So it's a little bit – it's a
1: double-edged sword, but, yes,
0: it is. I've 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 greatly appreciated those people who um, – and there have been many who have said those kind of things.
1: All right, well, I'm going to let you go, Evan. I don't want to take too much of your time, but thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. You got it, Robbie. Well, make sure to follow Evan Jerlick on Twitter at Evan EvanJerlick. He's a must-follow for all baseball and Red Sox fans. Also, make sure to tune into him. to listen to him on WEI. Evan, thanks again so much for coming on. Got it. Thanks again, to Evan Drellick, for joining the podcast yesterday. We talked on Tuesday before the Red Sox won again last night to get them to up to 13-17 and 17 on the year. Still struggling a little bit, but Porcello got the win, which was good to see. We talked a lot of Red Sox with him, so I'm not going to talk about the Red Sox anymore in this podcast. We'll get to them more in the upcoming weeks, depending on how well they play. Now, the Bruins unfortunately lost a close one last night or down 2-1 to in the series to Columbus. But I really want to end the podcast by discussing the Celtics because obviously they have the big series with the Bucs right now. They had a huge win on Sunday afternoon against the Bucks, And everyone in Boston is now back on the bandwagon. And I don't think you can overreact to one game. And I said after the series against the Pacers that I think this team's going to get to the finals, and I still do, but to look at one game in game one where they played the best game of the season from what everyone said, I didn't see the game, unfortunately, I had to drive back from a club baseball alumni trip, but from what I heard, the ball movement was a lot better, Al Horford had an unbelievable game, took a ton of shots, which is, as I say, every single time, when Al takes the most or the second most shots on this team, that's when they were successful, just like Kevin Garnett back in the day. When you feed Al and you go through Al and you go through Kyrie and Al, that's when this team is at their best. And that was a really positive sign for me. But back down to earth, as the Celtics played the Bucks last night as I'm recording this on a Wednesday, what I saw in that game last night was, number one, that people overreacted, everyone overreacted to game one. And it's hard not to. When the Celtics played that well, when they had already swept the Pacers, and they come off and play like they did in Game 1, stopping Giannis, the defensive tenacity of not letting him get to the hoop, everyone buying in defensively, I don't know how you can't buy in if you weren't bought in before that game. But it was a predictable bounce-back win for the Bucs. The Bucs are a very good basketball team. I didn't think you have to give them more credit than people gave them after Game 1. And... I still have the Celtics in the series. I think it's going to be a game six or a game seven. I like the Celtics. I like the Celtics against whoever plays in the next series, which would be the Raptors or the 76ers, hoping for the 76ers because obviously the Celtics have their number. But either way, I think the Celtics are playing good enough right now that they're going to get to the finals. They have too much talent. And I don't think you can overreact to game one. I don't think you can overreact to game two about this basketball team. And when I looked for the key for the series for this team, because the Bucs can win. And the Celtics showed shown you all year that they can get into stretches where they go one-on-one. There isn't great flow offensively. And I think you saw that again last night. There was times when they moved the ball well. But in the third quarter, when the Bucks went on that 26-2 stretch, there was a lot more dribble drive, one-on-one play. And yes, they moved the ball well at points, and they just didn't make shots. But when you look at when this Celtics team goes bad, it's when they're dribbling the ball too much. And the biggest thing I notice in the key for this series for me is against this very long, very good defensive Bucks team, the Celtics were going way too far into the paint to then make their move. Whether it's going up strong, whether it's kicking it out, either way, they were getting in too deep. Kyrie had probably one of his worst games in a long time, I think he only had nine points a bunch of turnovers going into the paint. Jalen Brown played well, but still going into the paint too much, getting in too deep, trying to use their body, which works sometimes against some teams. The Bucks are too long to do that. Giannis is too long. And the Bucs do a great job of helping out by packing the paint, but then getting out to shooters and looking for the deflections. And the Celtics had a really hard time playing against that style of defense last night. And I think the key with this Celtics team... If the three is there, you take it. If the three is not there, drive to the hoop, make a quick decision. The pull-up 15-footer is there for this team. And if it's not there, get into the middle of the paint and kick it out. But they're getting too far down in the lane where the length of the box really is bothering this team, and that's where the turnovers happen. You saw it time and time again where it was Kyrie or it was Gordon or it was Rozier or whoever tried to get very deep in the paint. They couldn't go up with it. They tried to kick it out. But the Bucks are too long, and they got out to shooters. So credit the Bucks defensively. Credit to the head coach for the Bucs last night in that game plan. Very good defensive game plan. But I think you're going to see the Celtics respond. And I said in the last podcast against the Pacers, and I'll say it again, I think Brad Stevens deserves a ton of credit for how this team has played in the playoffs. Because although they lost again last night, you have to look at what they did in game one and expect they're going to get back to that. We said it all year with this team. How are they going to come back after a bad loss? Will this team show resiliency time and time again? Will Kyrie Irving say a comment? I think that's over. I think this Celtics team, quote, flipped a switch, as they say, in terms of chemistry issues. And I don't think this bad loss is going to hurt them in this series. Honestly, I think every team needs a bad loss in the playoffs to wake them up. And if not, that this team needs to be waking up at all because they had enough wake-up calls in the regular season to know they have to be locked in? I think the Celtics, right now, how they're playing, take the loss of last night out of it. I think this team is getting to the finals. Obviously, I don't think they're winning the NBA finals. I don't think there's a chance. Going into the rest of this series, I want Al Horford to take more shots again. He didn't get enough looks. He played well, but didn't get enough looks in game two. I need Gordon Hayward having more shots. He was 1-5 of on Tuesday night. I need Hayward and Al to get the most looks and Kyrie Irving to do what he does. Because for this team to be successful, that is what needs to happen. Now, I wanted to end this podcast by discussing one final thing I've noticed. Not even about the team, but just about the fan interaction with the team so far in the playoffs. I think generally in Boston, when fans are behind a team, and when fans are excited about it, everyone's talking about it. You can see the passion in the fans. You hear about it all the time. I just don't feel that passion from the fan base about the Celtics right now and this has been one of the most dislikable teams that I can ever remember from a Celtics team in terms of how the fans have reacted and it's been because of Kyrie Irving the chemistry issues have been prevalent all year as we know they've had inconsistent play they've underachieved they came in with a ton of expectations and they haven't met them but things are actually good now they're playing very well. They are more likable right now. Kyrie Irving hasn't said a lot in the last few weeks, and they're finally coming together like the team we thought they would be. But for whatever reason, and maybe fans are still unhappy with how this team performed, and they have don't have the love for this team like other teams, and that's fair because honestly, I don't either. But the Celtics are at a point right now where. I picked them to go to the NBA Finals, and I think a lot of people are in that same boat in that they have the most talent in the East. And in most years, the city is behind the team. It's the playoffs. So if I'm going to give a message to Celtics fans out there, get behind this team. We're playing against the number one team in the East. The Celtics are playing great. They have a ton of talent. They can get to the Finals. I just don't feel like fans are still behind this team. I still feel like they're more behind the Bruins than they are the Celtics, and at least give it a little 50-50 here, and in past years with the big three, everyone is behind this team, everyone was talking about it, so message to Celtics fans, get into this team, root for them, because they might get to the finals, and I don't know if fans are still holding a grudge, but get over it, because they are playing great basketball right now, on the court, it's a fun team to watch when they're playing well, and I could see a scenario, even though with the loss last night, that they beat the Bucs easily, they get by the Raptors or the Sixers, and they're playing the NBA Finals. And when that happens, I don't want to see all these bandwagon fans in the Finals. So get behind this team right now. They're playing great basketball. They're finally fun to watch. Ignore what they did earlier on and support this team. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website. Or on my social media accounts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKincher, for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.